25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast. Brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to the Dark Ages. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. I am Nathan. And I'm Bobby Jones, otherwise known as Bob. And uh, thank you, Bobby Jones, for coming and doing the thing you would be normally doing anyways. I don't know why I'm thanking you. Um, <laughs> it's like it's a big surprise. Guess what, people? Bob's here. Well, I'm, um, uh, I'm Goggins about it. I'm not thanking you. You're Goggins? Like Walter Gog- Walton no, Goggins? No, no, Like the Goggins. David Goggins. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, I know what you're talking about. Okay. I'm teaching you through suffering. I thought you meant the actor with the big forehead and the huge teeth, which... Would also he be Jaws? no. He didn't play Jaws. No, he was in. Uh, he was in that show Justified. He was. Uh, uh, anyways, we're, we were we were talking about the same person. Doesn't matter. Oh, okay, it's fine. It's, <laughs> some of right. the donkey teeth. I got it. Yeah, he's got. He he was in uh, the Hateful Eight. He was uh, the second guy in the road on the okay. way. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, in case you guys didn't know, you know that's who Walton Goggins is. Really important. We share that with you. And David Goggins is an awesome Navy SEAL who holds the world record for pull-ups, push-ups, and I believe running the farthest. Yeah. yeah. He's a, he is a crazy person. So, uh, anyways, we're here today to review a book, and we will get to that. And that book is called Rite of Princes, and we will get to that. But let's get the important stuff out of the way soon, Bob. Yes, sir. Soon, Bob. Um, so, anyways, just so everybody's aware, I've had too much coffee today. I'm trying to, you know, dial it down. Um and I'm an enabler, so if yeah. he gets distracted, I tend to just keep at it, so we apologize in advance. <laughs> right. So anyways, first of all, I want to um, get out of the way thanking some of our new patrons. Um, you know, we like to do it whenever we can. And last week, you know, I just, I didn't even drop the ball. I didn't even pick it up. Um, so this week, I want to thank uh, uh, Nathan Weaver, Andrew Busey, Joe Amin, and Johannes Kassenbaum. And I probably pronounced the last one incorrectly, but I'm sorry. That's a good name, though. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. That's like Benedict uh, Cumberbatch. You will never forget that name. No. Once you pronounce it correctly, you know, you'll never pronounce it incorrectly, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but, but you got to pass that first stage. Speaking of uh, corrections, yeah, I just want to slide in here uh-huh. one thing before we begin. That way we're not in the middle explaining something. Um, jokingly, I refer to a word called demesne, and I've heard uh, many pronunciations, so did Nate. And, and domain was the one that Nate offered, and that's, that's how it sounds. I've heard people say, no, it is domain. It's a borrowed word in the English language. All of you are correct. I want you to know that. Every single one of you are correct, including Nate. Um, but can we stop? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm begging you. Right. Bobby Jones here is begging you. Just stop. Like, of all the things you can ask and point out to us or, or, or share... Um, the appropriate enunciation of a term, like if you're from France and we tried to pronounce a legitimate French name that is hard and complex to go through and you hear a stumble through it and we do it once, but we're like, we hope you get it. And then we spell it and Nate offers it and you know, in the after notes, like here's the word we were trying to. And we, we, you know, we're asking for knowledge, you know, if anyone knows her and you chime in, that's perfect, right? That's a kind of a community shared learning we're looking for, but we're not going to invest any more time. No. And hunting down the world's pronunciation for the word domain or domain, as Bob says it, or demesne when I want to be funny. But that's the that's the thing. I'm just FYI. 
And just just saying because it's y'all are cool, we're all cool, but let's uh, let's keep it lighthearted. Yeah, I I I, want, I do want to kind of piggyback off of something that you're saying here because it, it is something that we've been dealing with, and I'm sure everybody that's in the podcasting world deals with it every time they mispronounce something. You know, I understand. You know, there's a lot of people out there who take language very seriously, and um, you know, we should too, as podcasters, we should take the language very seriously. But you have to remember. This podcast is conversational. We are coming up with our, you know, aside from some notes, we're coming up with our conversation on the fly. I listen to and consume all kinds of material, podcasts, YouTube videos, books. And if I stopped every time one little word was not used correctly or didn't make sense to me, I would never have time for anything else. And it's not that you're wrong because you're not. But my problem is, as, as, a, as a creator of material, as someone who is a commentator, my problem is when the only thing that's offered to the conversation is, oh, hey, by the way, you used a word wrong. I'll get off my soapbox, but... Well, he, I'm going to kick him off his soapbox just to add, I don't care. <laughs> I'm also a person to poke fun, laugh with you, and a majority of you, when it's like, oh, man, Bob got a word wrong. I'm comfortable with my lack of... Uh, linguistic education. <laughs> Mine's only English. I'm comfortable with it. Right. Okay. Well, all that aside, all that hot-blooded negativity, um, let me just get into some positivity. How about that? Um, so we, we didn't have a question this week. We just had a message from a listener. Um, goes by the name of Wrath.0. And the message says, I have no idea if you guys are ever going to read this, but thank you. And we do read them. Uh, I was a lead character artist on Coteries of New York game back in the day. Uh, I was a second edition player. Then I kind of lost it and went to an art school and another. And then I moved from Poland to Japan around 2004. Uh, went to another school and then started working in games. Last year, I was invited to work on Coteries. And I wish I had discovered Utility Muffin Labs earlier when I was frantically looking for inspiration and reconnecting with the world of darkness lore. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that was a really cool message I saw this morning. And uh, not only do we read them, sometimes we read them on the podcast. <laughs> so. and, we, and we do enjoy every one of them, um, even from no matter what it is. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, we're, we're more than a podcast. We're a community. Mm-hmm. We're, a, That's a, we're, we're also a social club. <laughs> we're not just a band. We're also a social club. Do we review books now or uh, do we just continue? Uh, well, I mean, you know, I'll just flip the coin into your, your, uh, your pile of coins. Made okay, no sense. well, well, for throwing this in the pile of coins, we should probably go ahead and get to it, because, uh, um, this review, you mentioned negativity, I was actually just saying, if, if anything needs to be brought up that's difficult or awkward, humor is your best avenue. Yeah. Well, that's with anything in life, it's better to chuckle than to cry, just saying. And, uh, <laughs> that's how, that's how it works, and thus brings us to Rite of Princess. Uh, yeah, Rite of Princess. Sorry, I, I think I missed my cue. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. It's okay. I also had to go, is it Princess Right? Is it right? No, it's Rite of Princess. Yeah. Now, you may be wondering, Nate and Bob, didn't you just read this all week? How did you get the name? And it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, this book, and I, I, would, I would just say it here, mm -hmm. um, is not Vampire Dark Ages only. No. Yeah, it's definitely not that at all. It's Mage, it's Inquisition, it's Werewolf, and yep. it's Vampire. They yep. even include a part for Wraiths. Yeah, they do. They do. They do. You know, very generally mention them. And in fact, it, it well. So it, it's interesting. You know, if you look at this book, you're going to see on the cover, you say "Rite of Princes," 
Um, you know, it's got a bunch of knights on the front, you know, outside of a castle. The one clue that it's not just a vampire book is it just says a source book for the dark medieval. So very sort of cleverly, they failed to mention that it is not specifically or strictly a vampire, the masquerade book. Um, however, I would say it, it, there is a, there is a lot of vampire material in here, but, um, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more. It's, it's winged, um, to, to, to vampire, the perspective. I mean, the opening story yeah. goes over a war politically and actually between some vampire princes and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Honestly, it's kind of dry. It's uh, not right. real exciting. And uh, it gets to the end, and basically, long story short, we captured a vampire knight who's uh, an ambassador for this rival prince, and he came over here and, through diplomacy, worked his way into not being killed and released, and it was great. And right. there's your lesson in politics. And, and I and I fell asleep twice reading it. <laughs> well, so, all, I can, all I can say, um, you know, I, I, I will agree it does have some pretty dry moments. Um, the only thing I really liked about this story, honestly, was the imagery of the coterie and the removal of the stake from the vampire. Um, I thought that that was pretty cool. I thought that was interesting. But yeah, I mean, I got to admit, it, there, we're coming to a point in these Dark Ages books where the stories are starting to run together. Now, that's a brilliant point. Um, because when you're talking about the medieval world, where everyone thinks of knights, everybody thinks of war, everybody thinks of some disease and how troubling and difficult it was back then, you think of castles. Guess what? Yeah. But it's the Dark Ages. Right. That's that's what's there. So we, the, yeah, okay, cool. We're not saying that. What we're saying is, is that uh, what I'm directing this to is that when I grab a book talk with the title Prince, Yeah. I think I'm getting into like a Prince's Primer or... Yeah. Something related to ruling or a court of courts or the ins and outs, common popular princes and their reasons or, you know, something of that. And his book yeah. completely misleads you. Oh, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I hate to, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I totally agree with you on that. Um, I was honestly looking forward to a book that was going to talk more about, you know, the intricacies of that, the, the politics of, right. you know, the war of princes and, and, you know, how to kind of roll that out in your Dark Ages game. So I, I was actually pretty excited about it, especially because this is not a book that I was really familiar with. I, I really, you know, it didn't stick out to me. Um, I, I don't recall ever seeing it on Bob's bookshelf. And maybe that's just because I looked over it or I overlooked it, but it wasn't a book I was real familiar with. So I, I messaged my angel. She's a source for a lot of the books we've collected over the years. And, uh, I said, I said, I said, you know, hey, babe, out of curiosity, um, do you, you know, it's not in my collection. I thought I had all the books. Is that a collection? She goes, it's not a vampire book. <laughs> right, right. And I said, wait a minute. I know more than you inside and out, back to front in my sleep. How do you know it's not a vampire book? You know what she told me? Hmm. She said, because when I flipped it over and looked in the back, it was boring. And when I looked in the beginning, the picture looks lame. And I opened it up and you wouldn't like it. So I didn't get it. <laughs> I was like, that was your criteria? She goes, I know you. Why am I going to waste my money? And I said, you know me. Challenge accepted. Let's read this awesome book. And then I had to go, we'll talk about it on the pod. And I just right. said, <laughs> which was as much of a kneel as I could do. Um, she's not incorrect. Now, let me let me state this right now, right, what this book is. If you're somebody, players specifically, and that's all of you listeners, if you're having difficulty imagining what it is to have a shared domain or examples of it, 
or what it might be like, and you need the ins and outs and a description, writing, right. painting by the numbers of what you have. Oh well, this book is good. Right. This book is it, 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 it does go over it. However, what would you think if you were a storyteller, Nate, who you did know already mm-hmm. because you have the well, base book and all that we went through before? Yeah. So, so you well, knew how to do all that. So, so I'll, I'll say from this perspective, there are a couple of things in this book that are. I would say they're great additions for a storyteller's um, toolbox, you know, for creating the domain or domain in your game. However, um, this is something that that um, I got throughout the entirety of the book. And it's kind of an interesting, kind of a um, contradictory perspective. So I could find in each chapter... A little bit here and there where I'm like, oh, I could see where a player or a storyteller might find that useful. Or, oh, you know, chapter three has, uh, you know, this, that, and the other. I I might find a little bit of that useful. The problem that I found was all of the things that were in this book would have been more useful in a core book. They would have been more useful in maybe a storyteller's companion or, um, you know, uh, uh, a... one of those uh, other books that, you know, comes out with the, you know, um, the, the player's guide or, or whatever. To me, this seems like a lot of extra material that isn't super imperative to have to run your game. And it's the first book that tells you that you don't need it. Right. Did you catch that? Yeah. Where it's, it has a section where it says, by, by no means is this stuff canon and will not be in any future books. Yeah. Well, and no, so, so, so yeah, that, that's 100% true, but even that is untrue. <laughs> so and what do I mean by that? I don't, I don't know if you found the same thing as I did, but just to jump ahead a tiny bit and we'll get back to it. Sure. In chapter four, there's four different examples of domains that are listed. And in that chapter, very specifically, the thing you're talking about is mentioned where these, these are not canon. They're not going to be revisited. They don't use them in any way. You know, if you want to use them in your game, great, but they're not going to show up down the road. Except for the fact that this book is actually a companion piece to another book called Spoils of War, wherein these are further explored. So <laughs> that's not entirely true. <laughs> so what that tells me is that maybe Spoils of War was a bigger book. This is the bleed over. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that is why they titled it as an eye catcher so that you got it, maybe mm-hmm. not thinking. Right. And then it, this adds too, because in that, in that junction, Spoils of War with this book, eh, it kind of makes sense. Right? It's a similar, because Spoils of War is very much a toolkit. Yep. That you go so, through to understand this and how to use it, and so is this. 100%. And, and here's, here's what I would like to present. I would like to present an alternate reality where n- n- me or Bob, uh, we have the opportunity to name this book. And I wouldn't have called it Rite of Princess, because honestly... Especially when you combine the three other uh, genres or whatever you want to call them. It's not really about princes. It's about domain, the Demesne domain. I would have called it Dark Domains. That's what I would have called it. Because that's what this book is primarily about. It's about, first and foremost, this the, the chapter, and I'd love to hear your expansion. But the first chapter is all about the new rule of being able to pool your backgrounds. Right? Right. And it gives you the player or, you know, you the storyteller, but I feel like it's more geared towards players. It gives you the, the ideas on what pooling your backgrounds actually means. Like, what does that look like? 
And it, it literally gives you little boxes like, here's a place. What would that look like if you pulled all of your uh, your backgrounds to create this place? And for me, I just felt like I didn't need that. Like, you know, no, I just don't feel like it It really added anything to my my playbook. So I think the introduction of it, well, well because it's rules, mm-hmm. right? It's just rules. And uh, right. whenever a book just kind of go, well, it's not just that. It's even the format. The format throws you off, too, because if it's going to be rules, you're going to have crunch. And that's what this is. Um, you had a phrase you use a lot that I don't particularly care for. I won't steal it. It's not <laughs> that it's bad. It's just every time I hear it, I think of. It's it's vulgar in my head for some reason. Well, and I don't I'm know a why. vulgar. I'm a vulgar person, so that's fair. But but it's when you buy into your own bullshit. Yeah. Right. And, and in other words, it's salesman's pitch. It's salesman's speak. Yeah. It's you know the value of of what you're trying to pitch to people, but it's like the writer extrapolated and overdid it. Yeah. When they wanted to get to the point, and that's throughout this book. Yeah. And whenever I, something whenever something reads that way. You completely lose me when you're like, learn this new mechanic. Oh, but you could, in this flowery wordage here and flowery wordage there, we could have been mechanic explanation then. It's like, well, you, you, you just ruined it. Right. Like, what, where would I have referenced this without having to read the book to this point again? So I, I just want to make clear, there are, there are things in this book that I enjoy. I, I feel like it's not Let's a total... Name one. Well, like I said before, some of those some of those concepts that are presented, I think would be great for newer players. Also, I think for a lot of players, they don't understand what the point of a coterie is. They don't like, why would we make a coterie? I don't get it. I think this does a great job to do that. It's just the problem is there's, so I'll be as concise about this as possible. It is four different scenario, four different settings, werewolf, mage, vampire, inquisition. And they're kind of, smushed into one another throughout this book. And I think that because a vampire player picking up this book is going to have to sift through to find the, the, the specific stuff that they need. I think that that's actually detrimental to this book. I think it actually, and knowing players, I mean, just right there, that is my whole point. You just articulated that. If you're a vampire player, you listen to this podcast, you hear this book and you get it and you're going to be like, well, these guys tend to have sort of, a darker opinion about books they just don't care for. I'm a formula my own opinion, just like Utility Muffin Labs instructs everybody. Yeah. However, my concern is the reader, is the listener. That when they, you know, transition to reader, it takes a lot for a gamer to decide they're gonna read the books they own. Right. Right? Odd modes, time, whatever. And so now they invest the time and here's this book of frustration. Right. You know, they're they're thumb thumbing through what's about a domain pooling back. Okay, but wait a minute, there's a book that talks about pooling backgrounds. Well, the updated rules talk about that. They include this already, so this is where it came from. All right. Well, then maybe here there's some Easter eggs. Right. Or, or longer explanation. Then they look, and it's just really mini stories where they use the rules exact. Right. And so, and, and you know they knew this because that's why when they updated it, none of the fluff's attached. Right, <laughs> right, right. So, because some, someone thought like I did and came in and went, what are we doing? And, right. <laughs> and just kind of cleaned house, right? But other than the structure, I'm chomping at the bit to talk about the misleads okay, and half the truths they have in here. For instance, if you're a vampire player and you happen to not know anything but vampire and you get this book, this will do yet. If you have to run some werewolves or mages or the inquisition, this will tide you over. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause if anyone can open up the V 20, take your pick, pick your poison and look at the NPC section for antagonists and check out what we define a lupine 
uh, a veteran lupine is. And they're going to sign discipline equivalents. They're going to give a blurb explanation as to what the werewolf can do, and that's it. But this is a vampire game. Here's the real equivalent, so you're not worrying about crossing over anything. Right. And that's it. You're good. However, this book opens up Pandora's box. And it starts trying to explain the guru perspective. And kind of get that in there. And it doesn't quite do the job. And I've heard, I've heard arguments. I've, I've often wondered why there's certain people who get the mentality that werewolves can walk around and sense whether or not a site is holy. Mm-hmm. You know, by holy, it's, it's there in reverence to Gaia. It's perfect. This is the place. Well, they talk about uh, if a guru warrior in Arun dies in a spot, their rage is fused to the ground emotionally, and they could sense it and feel it, and that's going to be a good place to make a cairn or what have And I was like, what utter trash. <laughs> that's nowhere. That's nowhere in the werewolf side of things. It doesn't exist. Right. You can't. If there was a great Arun who died there, they brought him. They have rights to say goodbye to the Arun. They honor him in a moot. They bring that back. That fallen warrior is respected. His fetishes handed out to whoever needs them. That's of worth. They they honor him. He, he can become an ancestor spirit if that player played good enough or if it was truly an epic person. But you know what they don't do? They don't get to pick whether a Cairn spot's going to be holy or not. Right. <laughs> That's not them. They don't, they don't get to do that. Those are assigned, predisposed places that have an entrenched history that have a spiritual value to the werewolf community, right, as, mm-hmm. as what the guru are. Now, it doesn't mean that a great war didn't happen on the bond near somewhere, and that can't be happenstance. That's fine. But like I said, misleading. They're right. not 100% wrong, but it definitely leaves an impression where you're like, well, crap, if the lupines come and kill the prince right here, more lupines will come because the rage of those who have died will draw them to the spot. And it's right. like, ah, I really wish they would have, you know, well, explained yeah, it a bit more. And and that's just the that's just the werewolf stuff. I mean, for me, what I experienced personally, and I think a lot of people are going to experience as well, I, I like to read these books cover to cover, right? I don't want, yeah. you know, I, I may not be able to perfectly recall everything about the book, but I really, my desire is to read a book front to back. So I can go, oh, yeah, I remember that on page 27 where something happened. Or I can go, oh, yeah, I do, I do recall reading that. I don't have perfect recall at all. Anybody that listens to this podcast will know. I don't have perfect clarity of remembrance. But I do make it a goal to read the whole damn book, page to page. Except when I have no frame of reference. When I'm like, blah, 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 coterie, 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 um, yeah, that's cool. You use your contacts and you mix them with your allies. And then suddenly I'm in mage and I'm like, wait, what the hell? Right. And I'm like, wait, is this still vampire stuff? Like that I don't know about. You're like, talking right where they introduced the Ali Batin. Yep. Absolutely. There's, there's a blurb about mages and then boom, you're talking like, where did this come from? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, what's going on? And then like, I know vaguely about mage very vaguely in a modern context. And then I'm like, I don't know anything here. So now I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm like going, I'm doing this. I'm going, I'm just going to read through it. I'm, I'm going to try to make yep. sense of it, but I don't know any of the material. I don't know any of it. And so now I'm like, I don't know what a cray is. I don't know what they're talking about. Like what, what the hell? So now I'm going, what do I do? Do I continue to read through here? And none of this material attaches to my brain because I don't have a frame of reference or do I skip ahead? And if my, my answer is skip ahead, well, now suddenly the book doesn't have a value because I'm not, I'm not consuming half of it, right? right so right. you know, and and head. yeah, and so that was just a big a big issue for me. 
There's two things I wanted out of this when I saw that they included other material. One, I said, let's look at the value. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that it's not big enough to include all the rules and needs for groups. Right. So let me look past that one little butthurt moment. Let's digest what we're trying here. Could right. I, as a storyteller for just Vampire Dark Ages, take this book and feel comfortable in portraying these cross-genre with, with the added info? And I said, mm, maybe. Well, this is just fluff and description. Maybe there's rules where it talks about how to tie this together. Mm-mm. No, it's not. Um, it's not going to ever be in this book. Then I'm like, well, well, crap. All right, that was the group. Maybe, maybe Mage. No, it's more in deep and more involved than what they put there. It's just the, the tip of the iceberg for it. All right, well, the Fae will do it. And the Fae are like the number one half-spoken-about whispered rumor in most of the books we've reviewed, right? right. They'll mention the Fae, and they're like, dark, spooky words, crazy things can happen. And this book basically tells you when crossing through Fae territory, show respect by turning your clothes inside out. Otherwise, they will take it as an insult. And I'm like, what are you talking? Right. Like, can you back it up with the folklore where this comes from at all? You can't just, like, you can't roll a grenade down the hall, right, and, and have it explode and expect that, oh, yeah, now everything's kosher. We're friends now. You know, bad analogy as that is, so was the introduction to the yeah. Fae when I saw yeah. it, right? And it threw me for a loop. But the worst for me was when I'm reading the, you get to the Inquisition, mm-hmm. and you're reading about what they got going on. And they explained that, uh, that how they get into true faith really irritated the shit out of me. Because true faith, as you know it, as you read it, and I agreed with it, and that's coming from the modern and reverse. And the other Dark Ages material so far holds it just fine. Mm-hmm. True faith is based on the faith of the person. Right. Right? Even if they're relics, those relics were tied to people of deep resonating faith. Yes. Right? That's what it was. Even if it's a church and that makes it a holy site, there was a it's- priest... With the congregation. Yeah, right. The, the the priest, the congregation, their collective faith is what creates holy ground. And when they're gone and nobody takes care of that place, guess what? It can have residuals depending on how strong that faith is, but one night it'll go away. Right. And it's not going to remain indefinitely. But what if it's Jesus' bones? Well, then, okay, yeah. <laughs> right. Fine. Well, it's the well, son of God's bones. Okay, hold sure. Hold on a second. With that. That Be that as it may, we already know from a previous story, when you take a fragment of the cross and you move it from the town, it don't work no more. Right. Right. So even further, but this book leads you to believe, nah, it's the site. It's like, it's the place. Like you can go and just baptize a place and make it holy. Just do some work, do whatever, and it's holy. I said, okay. All right. Bob, you're nitpicking. Am I? It gets better. Now it's talking about defiling a place. Right. And they, and they talk about putting a, putting a gem in Lucifer's crown by defiling a place's truth. Yes, just like you eye-rolled just now. I read that and was like, <laughs> are you fucking serious? And when you read it, they're like, yeah, you could do anything. You can, if you spread excrement on there and you put a little virgin sacrifice and cultists dancing around and witch pagan fires and everything else. I was like, nah, nah, this is horseshit. You didn't say anything that made that anything. You just said that people can run in and poop. That's like water. Have you heard of water? They can clean the place and it's still like, why, what are we getting at here? What is your, whoever wrote, where are we getting at? Where's the, where's the crumb that says you're truly defiling? Cause I don't know about you. I would like to think that if, uh, let's assume right now that as the Catholic church laid out and, and all priests are holy and none of them ever did some absentee, got themselves in trouble with the law with a little too much, uh, personal Christian side hugs with altar boys. We'll just, that never happened. It, they stayed the course, right? Which right. means a priest is holding a conduit, allegedly unto heaven, right? Okay. 
let's pretend for a moment. If a priest is in a church, and that's a direct conduit to God, did anybody, and this is the Dark Ages, did anyone drink some bad water in the whole congregation at all? Such bad water that while they're in church and they're waiting for confessional, they have to go to, I don't know, um, poop bucket, and they don't make it. Right? Does that defy the church? I know where you're going with this, Bob. And uh, your your logic, it could be... It could be sound. However, I believe it has more to do with intent than just the act of dookie. Okay. Well, no, you can't. Because if it's intent, if it's intent alone, that's mm-hmm. like walking around and say, I'm the most evil thing that ever existed. And I see a church and it be holy ground. I now will go in there and I will sit and resonate my hate. Say Ted. Say Ted. I do, believe, I do believe by I do believe by the logic of this book that that would work. Right. Yes. Yes, correct. And I sat here and went, I, what horror thing did you ever learn to write? Like, where is that at? Like, this yeah, makes no sense. Yeah, like, have a, like, to have, int- it's like, it's just sort of an absent-minded backdoor way to say, this is how you make it gnarly and then move on. Yeah. And the whole time, I'm trying to think, this is talking about making a place for the Inquisition to establish as a base. I was like, we went so far off res, like, you think we went off res right here. And relating to the book, you guys are going, no, when you read this book and it's like, and this is how the Inquisition has a home. And it's holy if we come in and put a device and bless it, and we walk away. If that's the case, where is there a problem with evil anywhere? You just walk into a house and go, body of Christ. Yeah. Never now, empty I, this cup of water. And I, 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 get, I get the joke that you're kind of making here, except I don't disagree with you. Because to me, having this and, and sort of splitting it up into the four different groups, the, we'll call them the four basic food groups, um, I, I really, it, it kind of smacked to me of, of board game of all yeah. the, all the pieces need a base and everybody gets to make one and here's how you make the base. And in, in that regard, um, it really didn't give me anything new. Um, and, and I feel like even throughout the book more so that, that opinion was much more solidified. Because there's a whole there's a whole chapter about making traps. Can we can we do a quiz real quick? Yes. With you, I have, I have a test. This might sure. work. I warn everyone; it might not. But and if it doesn't, um, I'll just edit it out because I can't be so, making look a fool. No, if, well, I can. Just note <laughs> that I'm again comedy, right? So, um, Nate, you know enough about werewolf to been a player successfully had fun with it. Yeah. Um, you're a get a Fenris. Yeah. We're in the sept of uh, your choice in Germany. We'll make the big one. Uh, but you're in the Black Forest. It's awesome. And uh, you have to go forth and give a testimony uh, to Gaia in honor of Fenris. And Fenris's name. For a okay. good, successful hunt and kill. Because you have to renew the energy of the Cairn. Okay. Now, do you feel that the spiritual renewal of the Cairn is based on faith? Uh, or do you think it's based on reality of spiritual essence? Yeah, no, I don't think it has anything to do with faith at all. Um because I mean, Gaia might be like a god in the sense of like a creator, but Gaia is not God, not Big G. It's not. Right. It's not the same. Right. So, you, so you get it, right? Yeah. Because yeah, I think. Are, well, werewolves are half spirit. Right. Right. That's the point. That's why they can go into the spirit world and they're imbued with powers to to, to be shapeshifters, yeah. right? right? And we'll get more into that later. But when I read this in in like near the Inquisition section, it kind of poops on the werewolves where it talks about well their belief 
in Gaia faith, maybe. I was like, it's not. Right. It's, it's not. Like, they're they're born into it, can see it, taste it, they feel it, they're of it. They could damn near drink it, and they know, like, what are you getting at? Right. And, and it, it's, it's not, it's that, not like an... Yeah, uh, I, and I'm just agreeing with you. It's not like an Inquisitor where, like, they have faith and that, that faith empowers them. Like, werewolves have rage. Now, we're exactly where I wanted to be. Wanted us to be. Werewolves are definitively imbued with this spiritual power from parts unknown, right? A normal human doesn't get that. Right. And where it comes, no, no outsider would know that. And so that's important. So when an Inquisitor tries to go up against anything supernal, it is critical it's important the story, plot, and the horror factor that that Inquisitor has to have an iron will, a faith in God. Your faith is your shield. Right. And you hope you're correct, and more importantly, strong enough faith, you know you're correct, that God will protect you. And accordingly, it does. Yeah. Well, right? and, and let's not even get into the details of like first transformation, right? You go through your first transformation as a werewolf, and if you weren't raised in a culture of werewolves, if you weren't raised in a guru culture, you don't know what guy is. Guess right. what? You still murdered those people. You still rage murdered them. Had no bearing on your faith. And as we know, something worse comes for you. Right. Right. right? And, and she'll tell you, you, you should have listened to guy. Didn't you feel you were a little off the res there, buddy? And and, and there is, you know, and that's, that's sort of the elements of, of all of this, right? But like you said, it's tabletop feel of a game like you're playing monopoly pass and go and and that's what it is but it, it's because it's the hazard of taking a bunch of deep detailed concepts like the different game systems throwing them into one 97 page book and deciding well we knew from the beginning this wasn't about princes right right that's what i'm saying right, right. no it, it definitely isn't it's about building a base and filling that base and uh using it it's it's basically it's more about building and maintaining a domain than it is about anything having to do with princes. Um, and like I said before, uh, going into chapter three, there's a whole portion of this book that's about building traps, about recruiting armies, about defending your land, and it's it's all it's all kind of. You know, stuff that I feel like should have been in the core book or should have been in the individual core books. It didn't need to be in, in one one secondary book. I think the most complex idea is the hardest thing to do is that when you have these books and they've gone to that detail and you leave them to where the creative mind is, is what you want to kind of inspire to find this book of value or any book of value. Mm -hmm. It is to understand uh, the people playing the game. Right. Now, I think the people playing the game get medieval traps because history, history teaches you how that went down. Yeah. Right? They get poisons and what was made from and how to use. And I'm just, because it was in this book, there's fecal matter dipping of arrows to poison yeah. your enemies to get, uh, like, what is it? Uh, I forget what it is specifically, but it leads to bad stuff, you know, yeah. real bad things. You get sick. You get, um, you get sick, you die. You get Game of Thrones, right? You get That's dysentery. A, you, uh, who knows? Bad business. But the, but the point is, is you read it. And then you read an excerpt where they talk about how the Asimites and the um, Nosferatu got together and they ghouled, bred special snakes to milk their poison right. so it affects vampires. And it's right. the only virulent poison that affects the undead. 
and it does five aggravated dice of damage. That's what it could do to him. And then immediately near the end says, <laughs> and no ass of mine ever uses it because they can kill people and poison them far easier with other means. Right. <laughs> I sat there and said, I know the LARP this book came from. <laughs> right? Right. It was like, what is what is going on here? You know, like you just, interesting, but not needed. Weird. Right. No, yeah, it's uh it's, it's like a weird, random, obscure thing. Um, yeah. And then, of course, uh, moving on from there. And, 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 you know, I just want to state, like, some of the stuff that's in here, it's great that it it's great that it's available. But what I really have a problem with is that it's in a random, obscure book that doesn't mention that it's even in there on the back. So not only are you getting kind of like a different thing than you assumed you were getting, but it doesn't even have like an alert to go, hey, do you want all that crunchy shit that you've been looking for? It's in here. Because that's that's what a lot of this book is. It's a lot of like, if you use your imagination, this is what can result. But also, here's a bunch of game statistics. Here's a bunch <laughs> of rules. Um, like, did you, did you think when you bought that car, you were getting a car? No, you just bought a vacation package. <laughs> now, of course, you could use the vacation. But did you know that your car actually doesn't relate to the vacation package at all. Um, right. That's just me in titles. I believe in when you buy something and, and you shouldn't be misled. There should be no clever anything. If, if, yeah. if what the title is, that should be what it is. If it's just a clever title and all the books follow that theme, then great. But they don't. They, they all pretty much tell you what's in it. And that's the issue. But um, positives. Let's go there. I will yeah. can my cheekiness, and uh, which, which probably is it's necessary at this point. And the positives in it, if you had no idea about Werewolf Mage, Inquisition, or Wraith, you could sort of get an idea. If, if you needed to portray them in a medieval setting. Right. If you needed to. But if you were not a seasoned storyteller and have story told those main books, thumbs up. Because then, cause I, 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 ideally, if you're a player, then uh, if you're a storyteller of, it, of a Dark Ages game and you don't know, odds are your players don't know. Right. Wherever you're at. So then this is fine. This doesn't, in that aspect, it's fine. However, you're going to be very angry if you're a guru storyteller, a face storyteller, or what have you, because it's like they're mentioned, but then thrown to the wayside like they don't matter. Yeah. Because, like, what, what is this? What are you really saying? And then they kind of get detailed and don't. But ultimately, the positivity from it is, is that you can, you can see what they're trying to say, but you have to read between the lines, right? That werewolves are an unknown and two vampires, and that they are a power unto themselves, and they do have a reason for being places. And there are dangers that vampire quarteries do. Case in point, it is a danger to combine all your points in domain into you know, eight points for your coterie, and right. you have this massive, damn near state to cover, but you got one castle that right. you guys have enough to put on it. Well, what was the rest of it? Farmland? Yeah. Well, little did you know... The storyteller's reading this, and it turns out the location you chose, the world they built, and he can't exactly, or he or she can't exactly tell you because that's technically unfair. There's werewolves in the backyard, and they consider a massive protectorate area for hunting grounds. However, unlike this book, <laughs> this book equates werewolves to being uh, near mindless. Right. In a way. Well, I won't say mindless, but like. They're more animal than anything else. Like yeah, they're going to hear. Highly less likely to be getting into business than, say, the vampires or the mages. For instance, 
Werewolves have specific territories, and they never venture outside of those territories because they make room for other werewolf territories. Oh, all right. Um, <laughs> hang on. That's like saying wolves have a massive hunting ground and a killing area, right? A massive wolf territory. Mm-hmm. They will never venture out of their territory, especially if it runs into other wolves. You haven't seen National Geographic or read about wolves. As it turns out, yes, if they're hungry and they do a howling and they're going hunting and they find prey and it happens to be 20 miles away from them because they couldn't find anything up till then, that whole group's going 20 miles to have and eat. Yeah. Then they're going to go back and that's what it is. Well, if that's wolves normally, werewolves are half human. Right. And have a whole human structure. So if they're hungry, they're going to do it. Or or they're going to make some gruel. Everybody right, but, in the dark ages planted. I'm just saying. Right. And, <laughs> well, and, and, and something that really confused me is that, you know, um, I'm, I'm used to a modern day setting in werewolf. And um, I know that not all werewolves originate from the cairn. Not not all start there. Not right. not all stay there. There's a bunch of different tribes. And those tribes have different motivations. Those tribes have different geographical homes. And um, some of them are born human. And so if they're born human with somewhat human motivations, you'd think, you know, there'd be some stretching of legs from time to time, you know, just just like humans. And we we get to establish here that most humans in the Dark Ages, they kind of are born, live and die all in the same area. But I feel like werewolves are a little bit different than that. There might be right. some moving around. There might be some desire to go out and, uh, I don't know, get into adventures. But what this book will try to tell you is that werewolves don't mix with vampires, and I'm trying to tell you that's fundamentally false. Mm-hmm. Now, oh, wait a minute. I thought werewolves would kill vampires. Yeah, they point that out. Most definitely would. But by the way, I am a prince. I do know the territory I'm on, and it's very much stressful here in Transylvania. But as a voivode amongst voivodes, as Bob Rustovich I am, I understand <laughs> that uh, occasionally I will hunt an errant werewolf pack mm, every 25 years. As I feel. i got to need a new pelt anyway. But until then, when I hear the howls of the forest, I send out my followers to see what's what, and I release the Vazd. Right? They need something to kill. And mm-hmm. to me, they're my children. So I send the evil big bad out, and I watch the werewolf tribes tear them apart, howl their barbaric praises, and rip the heart out of the fiend. And then they take it back to their territory happy, which, by the way, their territory is mine. So I have a strong relationship with my werewolves. They dance to my puppeting. Until right. one of them right. finds where I live. Right. <laughs> when they find where I live, I will tell you the tale, the valiant tale of how Bob Rustovich suddenly learned to turn into a big mutated bat to fly away. And those wolves didn't know I could do that. And thank God it's the Dark Ages and they don't use Uzis. Right. <laughs> that's what that is, is I beat feet and get the hell out of there. And that's and that's how that goes. But that's that's the harmony here. And that's the lesson right. not to miss is that these people do live in each other's backyards. Because guess what? Europe's not uh, It's not like the United States or South America. We have vast tracts of land where we're at. Yeah. They're huge by comparison. But cultural-wise, where they're trying to tell you these stories take place, you're in each other's backyard. So it's finding ways to get along and nuances to do it. And to be fair, this book at least acknowledges that and kind of nudges you in the direction to be careful. Right. Right? On how to do right. that. Right. I, I also think that the the final chapter that shared uh, the four domain, uh, the four domains, 
I think that that was uh, uh, worthwhile, um, especially, you know, if you're a new storyteller, new to Dark Ages, or, you know, you're not a new storyteller, but you're just like, man, I need something. I don't want to spend all this time. Can I get all the details I need? You know, uh, the the vampire one is solid. Um, even the 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 mage one I, I thought was unique, even though, you know, some of the points are kind of lost on me. Um, I feel like anything that you can draw inspiration from is great. And to me, Agreed. having another resource that you can access and go, I don't have the time to set up London. How about I just use Strood? Great. There you go. It's presented is, for you. Is it called the Brood of Strood? Is that what the, it was? The, the Brood of Strood. Um, I yeah, I don't know if that's what it's called, but it's what it should have been. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not. I'm not clowning on that. I think that I agree with you. When it was made, it was at least cohesive, all in one place, detailed out everything, showed the uh, points and how they're utilized. Yeah. And I think it was a good education for a, a coterie group to compare yeah. how they built what they did, and that's throughout this book. I agree with you on that. Looking from that, take all our you know. A review is a plus and minus. That's yeah. the big plus that Nate just said. Check them out in their completion. That's worthwhile. Is yeah. it 97 pages worthwhile? I, this this podcaster doesn't think so. No. I, I, I think all in all this book, um, you know, I, I, I always caution anybody like to st- stray away from a book, but um, perhaps the usefulness of this book will come more into focus when we review Spoils of War which I believe is in two weeks. I don't know. But um, for me, I, I think it's too much of a mixed bag to recommend just like an impulse purchase. Um, I don't I don't think, all in all, I, I think that what's provided rules-wise is too focused in this edition of Dark Ages. So I don't even really feel it's that great of a help for like Dark Ages 20th anniversary edition. If for nothing else, it's a valuable tool for inspiration. But outside of that, you know, it's, you know, pick it up on PDF if you want. But otherwise, I probably wouldn't suggest picking it up, you know, print on demand or, you know, tabletop version, original printing like I have. I mean, it's a $20 book. It's kind of expensive. But just to be be cool with it, there is a person out there that does see this book as valuable and start to finish. And to that person, it is awesome. That you uh, that you do feel that way, I think you should, and uh, continue to use it accordingly. You're not wrong for thinking that way. Just our unique styles. I mean, they do have different storytelling styles, and even as players, uh, just I could tell you right now, not for us. Yeah. But if it works for you and it does, and you love it, please send that yeah. to us. I, I really think that the only exception to kind of step aside from myself would be if you're a new storyteller to Dark Ages, and you're just looking for something else to kind of help you to get you inspired to understand how to build your world, this book can help. Um, but as as experienced storytellers, to me, this is just kind of like, it, it, it's not revealing anything new to me that I couldn't have already thought of myself or, or gotten from previous material. It, it's because it's in previous material. <laughs> right. Right, that's the real reason why. So, uh, <laughs> so... All right. Um, all right. So what's coming next? Next week, we will be reviewing Road of Heaven, uh, the next line in our, our road books. And uh, I'm sure that'll be fun and entertaining. Um, and then the week after that, uh, we're scheduled to review Spoils of War, as we said before. Um, you know, of course, if you guys have any questions, comments, you know, if you disagree with us, uh, we would love to hear that. So 
you know, message us on Facebook or Twitter or Discord, whatever we can be found there. Um, one other thing I just want to mention right away, but I don't have all the details on. Um, at some point in the near future, m- perhaps some geographies might be changing. Um, so just be on the lookout. I don't have any concrete details on when, but um, any changes that happen should be, I believe, a positive for our podcast. So, um, yeah, in the future, there might be, you know, like uh, towards middle to end of summer, um, we might take a little break. I'll still continue to post things. You know, we have other stuff that we've recorded in the past. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't really have much more than that. Just be aware that might be something that's coming down the pipeline uh, sooner rather than later. So, uh, anything else you want to say in this crazy, crazy time, Bob? I was just fantasizing about having my own island to be on. That was it. Yeah, no doubt. Um, that was just a brief moment of snap. It's my imagination. I apologize. Yeah. I don't know. The news the last couple of days has not been looking real great. It's very difficult to stay positive lately. So um, we just hope, uh, you know, for me, not to talk for Bob, but I, I hope everybody is healthy and happy and safe and uh, doesn't get sick, doesn't do anything crazy and isn't, you know, losing anybody that, that that's their loved one. So I don't know. <laughs> I, he he said it. Um, you want nice things from me. I I believe that we should all suffer to improve, as David Goggins has outlined, <laughs> and uh, only great things come from it. And uh, stop settling for excuses and uh, embrace the pain. And through that, you shall find your true self and your potential to grow. Spoken like a true prince, I guess, <laughs> or a Sabbat archbishop. I can't tell which. Nate, all I'm going to tell you is uh, the only question I got: Who's going to carry mm-hmm. the boats? And the logs. I don't know. Who's going to do it? I don't know. Right. That's the question. Yeah. Uh, the the, the Schlotka. The Schlotka. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, thank you all for listening. Yeah. Sorry, I was just hulking. Uh, give me the logs. Yeah. Um, oh, we're getting slapsticky. Okay, so we're. Schlotka weight training for the win. <laughs> <laughs> Do you even lift, bro? Do you I even just... maraud? <laughs> okay. Do you even maraud? How many guru can you bench press? <laughs> uh, are we talking Krinos or Lupus? Uh, sorry, that's the dorkiest shit I've said all week, so. <laughs> Anyways, thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, I am Nathan. And I am Bob. Thank you for listening to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. If you like our podcast and you'd like to help support our show, consider backing us at patreon.com forward slash 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. We offer reward tiers of additional Patreon-only podcasts, t-shirts, and personalized gaming experiences. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and go to our website, utilitymuffinlabs.com, for links to all of our social media, additional podcasts, and more. If you'd like to chat with us, submit a title for review, promote your gaming-related stuff or anything else you can think of email me at nathan at utilitymuffinlabs.com utility muffin labs consistently rated adequate